Good morning, Sterling Baptist. Ah, good morning, Sterling Baptist. As I just say to the eight this morning, you guys are asleep before I've even started preaching, man. Um, so if you have Bibles with you this morning, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses uh, 5 to 12. Matthew, chapter 16, verses 5 to 12. Uh, that's going to be the section that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. And before we get going, I just, just let's, let's just pray. Dear Lord, we are just so grateful that we are able to come into your presence. Um, we know, Lord, that when we in your presence, we find hope. Uh, in your presence, uh, we have comfort, we have direction, um, and that's where we're meant to be. And so, Lord, we, we come here this morning already being able to dwell in your presence, being able to be soaked in it, and we are so grateful and thankful for who you are to us. My prayer this morning is, Lord, that you would be made greater, that we would come away knowing you a little better, having trusting you a little more, um, and being able to know this Jesus Christ who loves us unconditionally, I pray. So would you use this message just to equip us and to encourage us as you desire and as you will. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dive into the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, we see two groups of people that Jesus refers to in which we need to understand who they are in order for us to really get what Jesus is saying. And those two groups of people that Jesus talks about are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So who are they? Um, the Sadducees were, at least in Jesus' time and during the New Testament era, were aristocrats. Um, they were extremely wealthy, held positions of power like the high priest, the chief priest. And um, in the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of the day, uh, which had 70 seats, they held a majority of it. So their main focus, more than religion, was politics. Uh, they wanted to make sure that everything was good between Israel and Rome. Um, and as a result of doing that, the Romans paid them pretty well as well. Uh, so had a little bit of incentive there. As a result of that, the common people didn't like them because they were wealthy and they were dealing with the Romans and on the Roman side and the common people just did not like them. But when it came to things of religion, there's only really one thing in which we can commend the Sadducees about. And that is that they held scripture more highly than they did of um, the traditions of the day. So they didn't think the traditions of the day were nearly as important as scripture. But having said that, it's pretty much all downhill from there. I mean, the, they, uh, when it came to theology, they had a view that God was not a God that was involved in our everyday life that he kind of was a God that sat back and did nothing, um, that they um, were a people that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In other words, there was no afterlife. That's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't funny at the eight. It's not funny now. Um, <laughs> and as a result, they had, no, they had no view of there being a heaven or a hell. They didn't believe in that. Um, and there was no punishment for the way we lived. Um, and as a result of that as well, they didn't believe in angels or demons. So this is where we find ourselves with the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were like the polar opposites of a Sadducee. Man, if you had to flip a Sadducee over, you would find a Pharisee. They were not wealthy. They were just common people that did their own businesses and normal things. And as a result, they weren't involved in politics. And as a result of that, the common people liked them. 
um, which meant that though they held a minority on the, in the Sanhedrin on the ruling council of the day, they pretty much got their way most of the time. Though they had arguments, the people of the Pharisees got, the Pharisees got their way because the people backed them. And if the people were upset, that means they would riot and, and strike, which would get the attention of the Romans. And so the Sadducees didn't want that. So often the Pharisees got their way when it came to decisions. But when it came to things of religious, uh, religious things, Pharisees were very, very, very involved. Man, they took the law seriously, but not only did they take that seriously, they decided to come up with loads of rules and traditions to add to that. And they thought, unlike the Sadducees, that these were really important. And even if you, they would go so far as even if you messed up here, they would see it as sin. And so they hold tradition just as highly as they hold scripture. And again, with the other things, the Pharisees were polar opposite as well. They did, not, uh, they did believe that God was involved in our everyday life. They believed that there was the resurrection of the dead, that there was an afterlife, and that the way we lived had a result and played a result in the end of that. And they also believed in angels and demons. Man, two different types of people did not like each other, argued a lot, whereas go so far as they hated one another. The only time we see these two parties really come together and like one another is when they have found a common cause, something to hate together. And when we see that in Scripture, it's all about Jesus. Man, they could not stand Jesus. We see this in Jesus' death, um, that they lay all their disagreements to the side to agree that Jesus must be crucified, to make sure they falsely accused him so that he would die. They came together there. And in the passage that we see this morning, we see that just before where we're going to read that the Pharisees and Sadducees come together to test Jesus. Jesus has just healed a bunch of people, um, the blind, the crippled, the deaf. He's done all of that. He's cast out demons. He has just fed the 4,000. Uh, Jesus does this in two occasions. He feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. On this occasion, he feeds 4,000 with um, seven loaves and a few fish. And at the end of such a busy day, his disciples and Jesus hop into a boat to go to a region called Magadan. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, but it doesn't matter. Um, and which is a Gentile area. And as they are about to head across, the Pharisees and Sadducees come together. Oh no. When we know we see them together, it means they come in for a fight. And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, give us a sign. Oh man. Jesus has just done so many. What more do you want? And Jesus pretty much uh, uh, rebukes them, calls them a generation of adulterers, uh, really just lays into them and tells them the only sign that they will see is the sign of Jonah, which we don't have time to get into today. But then in him and his disciples climb into the boat and they head across to the other side. Now, this is where we pick up. So if you have your Bibles, um, Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It goes as follows. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus said to them, oh, are you of little faith? Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? 
How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak of bread? Again, here he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood they did not, that he did not tell them to, uh, to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So man, they're going across to a Gentile region um, with for any Orthodox Jew. That means when you get there, you wouldn't eat any of the food that they had touched or made themselves. But as they go in there or as they arrive, the disciples realize they didn't bring any bread with them. Now this is a bit of a pickle because so what are you going to eat? You can't eat any of the stuff that they make. You have to eat your, uh, your own stuff. And so they're, they're discussing among themselves about bread and got food on their mind. And Jesus says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, because they've got food on their mind, they don't quite understand what Jesus is talking about here. They've got, this, like, what bread, man? We didn't bring any bread. And Jesus, overhearing this, goes, man, you, how faithless are you guys? Don't, don't you see that I'm not talking about bread? Can't you remember that I fed 5,000 people with a, uh, five loaves and two fishes? I fed, today I fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish. Don't worry about bread. I've clearly got that. Don't stress about that. Hear what I am saying. I'm not talking about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they perceive and then they understand that Jesus is talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I want us to notice here that Jesus is giving us a caution, a warning. Beware. And not just to any old uh, person, not to a people that are worldly and ungodly, but to his disciples, to the men whom he had journeyed uh, through life with. He has walked and mentored them. They are his friends and his companions, and yet he finds it important to warn them. These are the men in whom will be out of the, 11, out of the 12, besides Judas Iscariot, they will become the 12 apostles that will be the foundation of the early church. And we reap the benefits of their work that they did today. Yet Jesus finds it important to warn them. Man, how much more important is for us to heed this? To heed this warning if Jesus had to warn the disciples. Not once, but twice about this. Hugely important. Man, if these great men who we look up to had to hear this, and some of us are even named after them, then surely it is so important for us to heed this warning. Beware of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But you might rightly say to me this morning, Joe, but man, it's, that was like 2,000 years ago. Pharisees and Sadducees don't exist. And, and that's true. The, the Sadducees uh, ceased to exist after the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem of 70 AD. Rome comes in and wipes it out. Sadducees ceased to exist after that. Man, the Pharisees con uh, uh, continue to exist, but not nearly as powerfully. And as a result, also, as we see in modern day church, we don't really see a group of people that stand up and put their hands up and say, yeah, we're the Pharisees, right? Or at least none that I know of. It's not really big. So why should we then worry about them? You see, while Pharisees and Sadducees in their form in their group of people that identify, hey, that's who we are, no longer necessarily exists, the heart and spirit behind Pharisees and Sadducees still does. The, what they believed and what they hold core to themselves still continues. And we see that throughout church history, and we still see it today. We just got a different name for them. And as we look at these, and we will look at them now, 
what you'll find is that most of us, if not all of us in this room, have a tendency to fall one way or the other. And the way you're going to be able to tell that is if you go, man, the modern day Pharisee, that's the big problem, is probably because you're more leaning toward modern day Sadducee. Because remember, they hated each other. So if you go, yeah, they're the big problem, then it's more likely you fall into the other camp easily uh, or more easier, or you are in it. And if you think, man, the modern day Sadducee is the big problem, it's probably because you find yourself with one foot inside the modern day Pharisee camp. Does that make sense? Great. And so I, I, go, I get one amen, so I, I'll go with it, I'll roll with that. Um, <laughs> so what is the modern day Pharisee? Well, man, we just got a different name for it. We call it legalism, and probably we've heard that before, the legalist. And the modern-day Pharisee has um, the view that we can put God into our debt, and we can acquire from him blessing by our goodwill. It's, it's more deeper than just thinking, um, I can be saved by my good works. There's more to it than that. It's a, it's a, um, a web of attitudes in the heart and character that assumes that God's love towards us is conditioned by who we are or what we can do. Does that make sense? And so it essentially thinks, man, I can bring something and contribute to what Jesus has done on the cross in restoring my relationship with God and the love that he has made available for me. Man, I can contribute to that and I can support God's good will to me by the way I act. So it looks like this, that if we think, oh man, God is going to bless me more today because today I live for him properly. Oh, today I went to church. God just loves me a little bit more today than if I had missed it. Oh man, I am faithful to God's word and therefore he is going to bless me more and he just loves me a tad bit more. I guess the opposite of this could be very true as well, that when we miss church, oh man, God's upset with us, right? When we are morally off, we just feel that God's love for us has somehow decreased as a result of that. When we sin, we think that, man, he doesn't love me as much. He's an angry God. He, he, I can't even be in his presence right now. I'm scared. I'm worried. Why? Because I have not been good enough today to please him well enough. Modern day Pharisee. And the problem with this is that in itself, it seems to think that it is personal savior. It, it, it denies the gospel and denies, whether consciously or unconsciously, the work of what Christ has done for us. Because we assume that by my works, God loves me more. I do something to contribute towards this. We become our own saviors. Modern day Pharisee. Now, the modern day Sadducee, remember, they're opposite to one another. Modern day Sadducee is, instead of thinking, man, I need to do stuff in order to get God's love, modern day Sadducee thinks, man, God loves me so much, he doesn't care what I do. And we call this, uh, it's a big fancy word, antinominism. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that again. Um, it's a modern day Sadducee that I am so, God loves me so much and I can just be the person that I want to be. That's his main thing for me. And so this looks like we can just live the way we want. We can be the people we want, whether no matter how moral or immoral we are. 
God is happy because he just loves me. Man, I can live with my girlfriend and we can sleep together. That's fine. Why? Because God knows that we love each other and that's what he really, really wants. I can focus on my business so much that I never get to spend time with God, nor my family, nor my children, but that's okay because God wants me to be successful and he's happy with that. And so we lay aside the things that God has called us to do because it doesn't really matter because God loves me. There's no consequence to this. And so I just get to live the way I want to live. And this too here, and this, sorry, this can even go as far as we can neglect God at all. We just go, oh, I don't want anything to do with this God thing. Why? Because if there is a God, well, he loves me and that's what matters. And I'm a-okay. And you see, this here is also a self-savior. It also denies the gospel because it denies the need for a savior. Man, if God loves me just the way I am, I don't need a Jesus to come and save me from who I am. It denies that as well. And so we find ourselves here easily falling into one or two of these things. Even as I say it, you probably go, man, I tend to be that person. That tends to be me. Or you go, Joe, you've been a bit harsh on that group there because they're not that bad. And here Jesus is saying, be careful, be cautious. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with uh, falling into one of, the, of these two camps? Well, the best way to deal with this is to make sure we deal with the root cause. It's pointless just trimming the fruits and trimming the leaves. Let's get right down and find out what the root cause is and rip that out and then we'll be good. Now, fortunately for us, there is a, a theologian called Sinclair Ferguson. He identifies and says that both uh, the modern-day Pharisee and the modern-day Sadducee have the same problem. They have the same root cause. Tim Keller will go uh, to describe it as non-identical twins. They look vastly different, but they came from the same womb. So this is great because that means we can deal with this one issue. We can deal with falling into either one or two of the camps. Really, really cool. And so in order for us to do that, we need to go all the way back to Genesis 3. Um, where we see man sin for the first time. God has just created the world. He has uh, created the Garden of Eden. He's, he's gone and he says, man, there's this one tree that you guys cannot eat from. All right, Adam, Eve, cannot eat from that one tree. You can eat from every other one besides that one. And he doesn't really go on to give an explanation why. He just kind of says, uh, if you do so, you will die. Other than that, he doesn't go, these are the reasons why I've decided this. This is, what, um, this is what's going to happen to you as a result. It's kind of like when I, when I was a teen, I remember seeing a little child wanting to keep on touching the hot fire grid. And the parents going, no, you can't do that. It's going to burn you. Having no idea what that means, but just wanting to do it. And so you can't really explain it, but Jesus just goes, man. God says to them, man, just don't do that. Don't touch that fire grid. Don't touch and eat of that tree. And Jesus' lack of explanation, I mean, God's lack of explanation here to Adam and Eve is one that he calls on Adam and Eve to trust him and to be able to trust in who he is and his love for them, right? Just, he goes, trust me and love me. He doesn't have to give him more of an explanation for that. And so for Adam and Eve, when they're tempted, the, 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 most of the result should be, I don't know why God doesn't want, to eat us, doesn't want us to eat from this, but we're going to trust him. We're going to love him, 
And we know he, he loves us. And so we're not going to do that because he said he could. Like we want that child not to touch that fire grid. Man, I don't know why my parents don't want me to touch this. But I know they love me. And so I, I'm not going to put my hand on that. And so it's, it's more for, for God, not a, a thing where he wants us to necessarily be uh, a compliant in our behavior as much as it is about building a relationship. So what does the enemy come and do? What does a serpent come and do? He comes and attacks that very thing, that relationship in which he wants. And he comes and creates doubt and mistrust. He, he comes to them in Genesis 3, verse 1, and he says, um, oh man, God said you couldn't eat of any of these trees. Well, that wasn't the case. There's only one, but he goes and says you can't eat of any of them. And then the next, in, in Genesis 3, verse 5, he comes along and he says, oh, and he argues and he, he tries to make a point, man, if you eat this, if you are disobedient to God, man, there's going to be a liberation. You're going to feel free and liberated in this, which there wasn't. But what do Adam and Eve do? They go and trust the serpent. They eat of this fruit and they disobey God. And what happens from then on out in all humanity comes this distrust in God. It's laid in every single one of our hearts that God is restrictive, that God is a self-absorbed and selfish. And we cannot trust God's word and we cannot trust his character. And as a result, we do not necessarily believe anything that he has to do with when it comes to our benefits and our goodwill. And so we don't trust him. And so here Ferguson will go along and say, man, this is the root cause for the modern day Pharisee and Sadducee. That we do not trust this God with our good works. I mean, our goodwill for our benefit. We can't trust him. And as a result, for a Pharisee, this means I have to do good things. God has not in any way got my benefits and my good, uh, goodwill for him. He does not love me fully. And as a result, I have to do good things to earn it. I know he said I don't, but I just feel that I must. And so what we have to do is we have to do spiritual works and get the spiritual crowbar out so that we can come and pry open the hand of God that holds so tightly his love and blessing. And so we try our very best with all the good works that we can do to open those hands up so he might just let some go. Because we don't trust him that he wants to freely give it, even though he says it. We believe he's this big policeman that stands there and has made these laws so that we might struggle through them. But what God wants to do is that he wants to pour out our love, but we just, we don't trust him there. The issue for the modern day Pharisee is that we do not trust God, that he's got our best interest at heart. For the modern day Sadducee, it's exactly the same, just the application of it is different. For the modern day Sadducee, it's to think that, man, God has made these laws because he does not want me to enjoy life. He wants to do this to spite me. He wants to have, have made these commands for me on how I should live my life, not because it's the best way I should go about life, but because he wants to spite me. Therefore, I cannot trust in him. I'm not going to do it. The only difference, or the same, they're both think that obeying the commands of God is somehow in that he is to take away our joy. They don't trust that the commands of God is for our joy and for our benefits and for our good. They both agree on that. The only difference is the application to that. The modern day Pharisee bears it on him like burdenly and wearingly. Man, I need to do this. I, I need to get this so that I might get the love of God. 
modern day Sadducees like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, I'm not going to have any of that. Thank you very much. And throws it off. That's the difference. But the core root is the same. The core problem for us is the same. It is that we lack trust in God. We lack a trust in God. And so how do we deal with this? Man, we identify that the, the root of these two problems is that we lack a trust in God. For our benefit and our good. So we need to change that perspective, right? We need to see God differently. And in the only way we are going to be able to do that is if we look through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. So for the modern day Pharisee, what is needed for us is that we are able to look at God and be able to see him through the loving cost that he has died for us. You see, we can't just speak about, um, about forgiveness and acceptance in an abstract way. Because if we don't deal with the issue, the core issue, we're just getting the shackles free of the Pharisee and making him a Sadducee. Because now he goes, man, I don't have to do all that stuff, but he still doesn't trust God. So all we're doing is converting a Pharisee into a Sadducee. And the same with the Sadducee. If we go, man, there's law, there's morals, there's things you need to live by, and we tell him that without dealing with the issue of you need to trust in God, he just becomes a modern-day Pharisee. He just starts to bear that all on himself. So we have to deal with that core. And for the Pharisee, that means seeing the cost and love of Christ through Jesus. It's seeing acceptance and forgiveness through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And when we do that, we see this costly love given to us. We're able to be set free and live rightly, burden-free through um, what God has planned for us in the way he expects us to live. And so for us, scriptures like Romans 5 verses 6 and 8 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. No, for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Awesome. Costly love. Not merited at all. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He shows his love that way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, this is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that we in Jesus might become the righteousness of God. John 3, 16, verse 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 is so great too. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Oh, a costly love given for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he said it was finished. Nothing for us to add or to take away. But here is this love that God has shown to you and me in whom we can trust that he has our best interests at heart. But the only way we can see that is by looking at God through the cross. And for the modern day Pharisee, shackles are released so that we can live for the glory of God. Not in burden, but in joy. For the modern day Sadducee, we mustn't just talk about the abstractness of righteousness and doing things that are right. But we need to see this through the costly love of Jesus Christ for what he's done for us on the cross. 
that in his life and in his death, that he fulfilled the law for you and me. He did it all and was sinless and fulfilled the law for you and for me. We see this in scriptures of 1 Peter 2, verses 22 to 24. It says this, he committed no sin. This is Jesus. Neither was he deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in the help in time of need. Oh, to look at this Christ, this glorious Jesus through this cross. To see this God whom, whom loves us and has costly given his life so that you and I might experience life to the fullest. But it is only through him and him alone, not through ourselves, not through doing our own thing or trying our very best to do his thing. Only through Jesus do we get this. And so we can live a life that is a life of purpose, a life of satisfaction as we live for the glory of God, for the things that he has called us to do. But we do so without any burden, without any weary, because we know and we see the loving cost that Jesus Christ has paid for you and me. Awesome, awesome stuff when we get that. You might say to me though this morning, Joe, man, you're making a big deal out of nothing. And when, I think of, when you think of yourself, maybe you're going, oh, there's only just a little bit in you and that's not a big deal. You don't have to worry about that. I just want to point out in closing that Jesus uses the word leaven when he talks about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Watch out for the leaven. A little bit of leaven makes that whole loaf big. A little bit of this teaching will affect all of you. It might be small, but it works quietly and discreetly, and it eventually affects the whole loaf. Church, this is a huge issue for us. It's a lack of trust in who God is. It's a massive thing in which we need to deal with. Huge. But we can only deal with it by looking at Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. Do not put it off hastily come along. Jesus warned the disciples twice about this. He would warn us so much more. Let's deal with this. Let's look at Jesus. And for those of you who might be Christians just for a bit, make sure now that you solidify your life on Christ by looking at Jesus and the Father through the cross. For those of you who have been Christians for years and years and years and the cross might have become dull and boring to you because you've heard it so much or you haven't thought about it in years, I tell you, look again. Renew your excitement for what Jesus has done for you. For what he has done is so great. He loves you, church. He cares for you. And in Jesus, we have this awesome God. Not in yourself. Oh man, if we could get this. If we could get this a life 
of purpose and satisfaction and without burden only because of what Jesus has done for us. Oh, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning with, with grateful hearts. Grateful hearts that we have a God in heaven who loves us so much, who looks upon us with love that is unconditional. And Lord, we see that when we look at the cross, we see a God who died for us when we did not deserve it, who took our punishment, our sin upon himself for us because you loved us. Oh Lord, we see a God who went through the things that we cannot. Would you create in us a trust in you? A trust in you because you love us and you care for us. Help us, Lord, to take our eyes off other things, but to fix them on you through the lenses of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. Help us, we pray. We so often, Lord, fall onto one side or the other, and sometimes we're like a pendulum that swings between both. But Lord, we want to find the center where you are, where you want us to be. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Be merciful to us, we ask, Lord.